We're talking about the soul and the system. We're talking about the inner world, that most intimate personal capacity inside that you might call the soul. And we're talking about the world that we build together, which might be a way of talking about politics, although it's, it's bigger than the election coming up and partisan battles, but it includes all that stuff because it's about the world that we build together. And uh, to get into that, we've looked at some of the texts uh, of Jesus in the gospels and especially where he's tempted. And today I wanna go back to that uh, in a moment. Um, but before I get there, I wanna tell you about a thing that happened in 2016. Uh, the election was just sort of gearing up. This was January, and Donald Trump was at a Christian college in Sioux Center, Iowa. And while they're speaking to an audience that were really pretty excited about him, he was describing what would happen if he got elected. And here's the quote. Christianity will have power. If I'm there, you're going to have plenty of power. Uh, last week, we talked about identity and the, the soulless question of identity, like do you know who you are? Do you know if you matter? Do you know what ground you stand on and, you're, and who you are as a person? And we looked there at the temptation Jesus faces with, with the devil saying, if you are the son of God, like if you know who you are, if you are who you say you are. We talked about identity in the soul, but we also talked about identity in the system. We talked about the ways that group membership shapes a feeling of identity. We talked about the way that identity can be exploited in the system. We talked about fear and how fear can activate identity, but we also talked about how identity can be activated by love. So last week was identity. I just shared that line with you from, from Donald Trump in 2016, and today we need to talk about power. In fact, it's one of the temptations that Jesus faces in the wilderness. So let me, let me share this with you. This is from Matthew chapter 4. Uh, this is the last temptation that he faces with the devil. When the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So Jesus is out there in the wilderness and his identity is being tested, but he's also tempted with this promise of a certain kind of power. The devil says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And I think whether it's the soul or the system, one of the temptations that we have to talk about is a certain kind of power. Now, I don't know how you read Jesus. I don't know what you think of Jesus. I don't know how you perceive him. But the Jesus I perceive in the Gospels is not some like megalomaniac who, when the tempter came to him and said, I'll give you all the kingdoms in the world. Like, I don't read him to be the kind of person who would hear that and think, ah, yes, I'll finally be glorified the way that I'm hungry to be glorified. Like, I don't read him as the kind of ego case that needs that power for that kind of reason. I wonder if the temptation for Jesus was more subtle and insidious. Like when you read Jesus, you see him walking around the world, uh, having empathy for all of the pain and brokenness that he sees. He sees people bumping up against their own difficulties and issues, and he sees people being kept down by the system. And, and as you walk with Jesus through the gospels, you sense that he is uh, profoundly moved with compassion for the hurt that he sees around him. And I wonder if the temptation for Jesus was to see how things are not the way that they ought to be, not the way that God wants them to be. And he knows how they ought to be. and He knows how God wants them to be. And so I wonder if the temptation is, man, I know, I know what kind of world we want, what kind of world we need. And if I could just get the power, if I could just have the power of the kingdoms of the world, then I could use the kingdoms of the world to make the world the way that we want it to be. 
to make it a world where healing happens, to make it a world where justice happens, and ultimately to make it a world where love is the operating system for everything. Like maybe, he, maybe that's what he wants, and the temptation is to seize the, the kingdoms and their power and use all that power to take it to that end. But he says no. And I suspect the reason Jesus says no is that he knows that means and ends are connected in the kingdom of God. So like, like, like you can't build a world of love if you don't use love to get there. You can't build a world of love using violence to get there. You can't build a world of love using the coercive power of the state to get there. I think he knows that if the world we want is love, then love is how we get there. And certain kinds of power, certain kinds of uh, temptations to grasp certain kinds of power are like totally contrary to the way of love in the world. Let me tell you a couple of stories that I think have helped me um, think about this in the last few years. So in 2010, I went to Israel and Palestine for the first time and there encountered um, a number of stories of pain and suffering that are the result of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But we also encountered some of the most harrowing stories of faithfulness and love and creativity and bravery that I've ever seen. And one of those stories of bravery and love that, that I encountered there and I've um, come back to a few times since is the story of a woman named Robbie Damlin. Uh, Robbie is a Jewish mother uh, who came from South Africa to be in Israel. And when her boys reached the proper age, they went to serve in the military like everybody does when they reach the right age over there. And one day she tells the story of a knock at the door and soldiers in uniform who are not her sons coming to tell her that one of her sons had been shot and killed by a Palestinian sniper. Cold blood, not, not in the middle of a, of a, of a you know, an exchange of fire, just picked off in cold blood. Now, if you're Robbie Damlin in that moment, a mother who has lost her son to an act of terrorism uh, from the other side, if you will, right? Well, what do you want? I, you know, maybe, maybe you want vengeance. Maybe, maybe you want to weaponize your grief. Like there's a legitimate complaint there for this mother, right? Maybe you want to leverage that complaint to call your people to rain down hell on the other side. Maybe you want to tell those soldiers to go back to their commanders and say something like, make them pay. Maybe you want that. Maybe you think you want that. Maybe that's the feeling that bubbles up. But she somehow in that moment knew in some way that she wanted something else because ultimately, like in that moment, isn't what you really want is a world where moms don't get the news that their sons have been killed by snipers? Like what you want most, what you want deepest, what the soul wants in that moment is a system where that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. What you really want is, is love in the world, in the operating system, in the relationship between neighbors and countries. You want love. And, and, and it seems that somehow some part of her knew that because when the soldiers came and knocked on her door and told her about the loss of her son at the hands of a Palestinian sniper, the words that came out of her mouth were, you may not kill anyone in the name of my child. You may not kill in the name of my child. Well, that's something like the voice of love speaking, isn't it? I'm not saying she had warm, fuzzy feelings uh, for the person who did this or for the Palestinian side of this conflict. But something in that moment, somehow in that moment, she knew that if the world that she wants is love, then love is how we're going to get there. And so the violence has to stop. And if you listen to Robbie today, you'll hear her talk much 
about the, the painful and complicated journey toward forgiveness that she has been on. Uh, by the way, you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, our friends at the Telos Group, uh, a group that we're partnering with for some of our global work in the next few years, uh, they've just launched a new podcast called The Undaunted Podcast. And Robbie is the first guest on the first full episode. Uh, you can go and find that and hear it in her own telling. Uh, but Robbie's one of the people who has reminded me and taught me that if the world that we really want is love, peace, harmony, wholeness, that if the world that we want is love, then love is actually how we have to get there. And there are gonna be these temptations to leverage certain visions of power. And often those visions end up looking like violence. There are gonna be temptations to leverage certain visions of power. But if the world that we want is love, then we can't get there with violence. If the world that we want is love, then we can't get there with that coercive kind of power. If the world that we want is love, then love is how we have to get there. And I think Jesus knows this in the wilderness. I think Robbie knows it when those guys come and knock on her door. And I think we are learning that this isn't just sort of pie in the sky, naive theology, that this actually works in the real world. Um, maybe you're sitting there thinking, hey Jay, you're talking a lot about the world that we want, but what about the world that we have right now? Because the world that we have right now is racked and shot through with violence and injustice. There's oppression in the world. There are refugees fleeing in this world. Black and brown bodies are dying in disproportionate ways in this world. You could go on and on down the list of things about the world that we have right now and all the ways that it doesn't look like love. And I'm sitting here talking about love, but like, what about the world we have right now? And isn't it a bit naive to talk like this? Like, don't we need to play some power games if we wanna make the world better? Well, perhaps, but it depends on what you mean by power, I think. Like the, the, the power offering that Jesus is given in the wilderness, I think he looks at it and he says, that's not actually power at all. That's, that, that's counterfeit power. That's the kind of thing that looks strong, but ends up being shown to be weak. Uh, let me tell you about another acquaintance that I've made in the last few years and what I've learned from her. Uh, last fall, I was in Kenya and I was there uh, supporting a group of young leaders from around the world. These are like 18 to 25 year old leaders who lead uh, reconciliation movements in places that are racked with conflict. Uh, many of these places are places that you would know from headlines that describe uh, violence and uh, civil war or um, places where the government is sort of a failed state. Uh, these are young, brave leaders, and I was there to serve them and to be a bit of a, a chaplain for any who needed some spiritual care. And then um, one of my colleagues in the project there was a scholar named Erica Chenoweth. So Dr. Chenoweth, uh, who works at Harvard at the Kennedy School, she entered her, her academic work thinking that she would be uh, a researcher for military projects. like how to help militaries get better at what militaries do. But through a story that I don't have time to tell you right now, she got sort of turned around on that and then began to focus on the question of whether nonviolence is an effective tactic to actually produce social change. And so she and a colleague, they looked at hundreds of social movements around the world from the 20th century. And they did a deep dive analysis on the nature of these movements and the long-term effects of these movements. And they demonstrated overwhelmingly that nonviolent movements are actually better at getting what they want. You hear that? Like, I'm not just talking about some naive kind of pie in the sky platitude. Nonviolent movements are better at getting what they want. Now, what do they want? Like, most of these social movements rise up because there's something about the world that they are living in. There's something about the place they are living in. There's something about the system that they inhabit that isn't love, it isn't justice, it isn't peace. 
it isn't right. And they, they want to push it in the direction of justice and peace, or like what I would say, like love in the system, right? The beloved community. So they want to push it in that direction. And there's all these choices to make for a movement like that, especially when the, the thing that you are resisting begins to exercise violence against you. And when the thing that you are resisting is exercising violence against you, that's where the temptation comes in because we all want to feel powerful when there's a threat coming at us. But remember, if the world we want is love, then we, we can't build it with violence. If the world that we want is love, we can't build it with certain visions of power that really are just backed up by violence. If the world we want is love, then love is how we get there. And Dr. Chenoweth and her colleague demonstrated like nonviolent movements. And as far as I know, the only way to sustain a nonviolent movement, to actually remain committed to it, uh, is to let your soul be rooted in, in love. Uh, not vengeance, like love. Uh, so she finds out that nonviolent movements are better at it. And here's the other thing that's crazy. When a nonviolent movement pushes for social change, uh, according to their research, it only takes three and a half percent of the population participating in the movement to make the change happen. Only three and a half percent. That's a drop in the bucket of whatever community we're talking about, whether it's a country or a city, like that's a drop in the bucket. And yet that's all it takes for a nonviolent movement to create the change that it is seeking. And they didn't find any example of a movement that reached the three and a half percent threshold that didn't get what it wanted. And by the way, when they look at the effects of nonviolent movements, they find out that not only do they, they're better at getting what they want, but the change lasts longer. This um, shouldn't surprise us uh, because like I said, means and ends end up being connected in the long run, don't they? Like if we build with violence or coercive power, if we make deals with the devil so that we can try to create the world that we want, let's not be surprised when we don't get the world that we want. We're going to get the world the devil wants. We're going to get the world that is still racked by evil if we, if we flirt with evil to get there. Um, if the world we want is love, then love is how we get there and we have to actually do the work. Now, the other reason I mentioned Erica Chenoweth is I'm not talking about love as like some spineless niceness. I'm talking about like love in the public square. I'm talking about love that marches. I'm talking about the love that is resistance. I'm talking about the love that looks like justice in the public places. I'm talking about like forceful love, powerful love, but, but, but there is a difference between justice and vengeance. And there's a difference between power that's not rooted in love and the power that comes from love. And I'm talking about building a world with love so that we get a world that is love. Now, a lot of us have some power. Some of us, in fact, some of us work for the state. You know, we have uh, in our church and people who tune in online, we've got people who are working for city government, people who work in the judiciary. We've got people who work in law enforcement or serve in the military. And even if you're not working for the state, a bunch of us have uh, forms of power that may not necessarily be love. Like maybe you're high in the org chart in your workplace and you're high enough up that basically what you say goes. Well, not, that may not be intrinsically love, right? Uh, a lot of us have some forms of power that may not intrinsically be love. Maybe you have some money in the bank account or some influence with the people around you, some kind of leverage that you have uh, with the world that surrounds you. Well, those are certain kinds of power that may not intrinsically be love. But what if we got really vigilant like Jesus in the wilderness and realized that power will tempt us and corrupt us 
And that, that if we're not careful, that love will get lost in the mix. Like what if we stayed vigilant about that? And what if we realized that the only way that you keep those kinds of power from corrupting love is to make love invade those kinds of power. Love to transform those kinds of power, that all of those assets of influence that we have, what if we surrendered all of those to the way of love to see what they could do? Like, like just think about um, the, the ways that you have some influence or power in the world right now, whether it's on the org chart or in your family or the money in your bank account or the influence in your community. Like think about those little pieces of power that you carry with you every day. And I wonder what happened if you asked, how, how do I surrender those things to the way of love? How do I use my power in the workplace for love? Yep, that's what I'm asking. How do you use your power in the workplace for love? How do you use your bank account for love? How do you, how do you see those dollars there uh, on the screen when you log in? How do you see those as uh, uh, little tools that you can leverage for the sake of love in the world? How do you, here's one. What about your vote? Uh, some have already voted. Many of us will vote in the next few weeks. And there's a lot of ways to think about a vote. And I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. But I am here to ask you, like, if a vote is a little bit of power that we have in the world, then how would, you, how would you make sure that your vote is surrendered to the way of love? That your vote is an expression of love? Uh, the love that comes from within and the love in the system that we want to see. Like, what if you used your vote that way? Uh, what, if you, what if you looked at your, your marriage and the things that aren't working right now? And maybe at one level, like, the thing that you want in your marriage is to feel more valued. That's great. Yeah, but, but isn't the thing that you really want even underneath that? The thing that you want in your marriage is love in both directions, right? Well, sometimes like when we think that what we want in a relationship is to feel more valued, we get a little self-protective or we get a little passive aggressive or we get a little bit manipulative to try to get that person to appreciate us, right? But guys, remember, like if the thing that you want is love, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's like in the country at large, then love is how we get there. So like, I don't know that you're gonna get there by manipulating things a little bit. I don't know that you're gonna get there by withholding things a little bit because Underneath the desire to feel valued in your marriage or to like win the next fight, isn't the thing that you want there love? Like love in both directions? And if love is the thing that you want, then isn't love how you're gonna get there? Uh, same goes for family systems. Same goes for churches. Same goes for cities. And I, I actually believe same goes for the world at large, that if the world that we want is love, then love is what it's gonna take to get there. And all along the way, we might find ourselves a little bit like those church leaders who heard the promise from the president, who said, if I'm elected, you're gonna have power. And we might find ourselves uh, tempted by that. Uh, it's uh, super attractive when you feel disempowered, when you feel like there's some kind of threat against you, um, that when somebody sort of dangles what they call power in front of you to go for it. Um, but Jesus has a warning for that very trade. So we looked at the, the experience of Jesus when he himself is in the wilderness. And the devil comes and says, you can have all this power if you just make a deal with me. And Jesus knows that he has to say no because the world that he wants is love and he's gonna build it with love. Well, there's this moment in, in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is talking to his friends and he's telling them about the suffering that's gonna come to him. And Peter takes him aside and Peter rebukes Jesus and then Jesus rebukes Peter. But Peter rebukes Jesus and I, I think the heart behind this is Jesus, or sorry, Peter sees this movement that is growing with Jesus. 
Peter sees the power of the movement that is growing with Jesus and perhaps begins to believe that, that Jesus is gonna be the way that we get the world that we want. But then Jesus starts talking about this turn that's gonna take where rather than seizing power, power is going to seize him, take him, torture him, kill him. And Peter rebukes him. Like, I, like that's not how this can go. That's not how this should go. Jesus, you're crazy. We gotta ride this wave of power uh, up and to the right. And Jesus says, it's all gonna go down. And then Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter. And then we read this. Uh, he called the crowd to him as if to say, man, this, this thing that just happened with me and Peter, all of you need to know that there's a temptation within us to seize power and give up love. And let me tell you the way this needs to happen. So he calls everyone around and he tells everyone, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? What good is it for somebody to gain the kingdoms of this world? What is it for somebody to gain the power of this world? What good is it for somebody to gain control of the system, wait for it, yet forfeit their soul? I mean, this is Jesus teaching this crowd uh, in, in Mark 8, but I suspect it's directly connected to that personal experience he had in the wilderness in Matthew 4 where he's offered the power of the kingdoms and he says no to preserve his soul so that he can continue to be the kind of person who builds the world of love with the way of love. And of course, by the way, that thing he said about denying yourself and taking up the cross. Well, we read in many places in the New Testament that Jesus' death on the cross is specifically a, a picture of love. Like this is what divine love looks like. And Jesus didn't just die so that we don't have to. Jesus died to show us how to. Jesus died to, to like lead the way for us in the way of love and to show us that we are gonna face forks in the road along the way, where in the one hand, we could choose what pretends to be power, what feels strong, especially when we are threatened or in the wake of violence or when the world feels a little unsafe. But at those forks in the road, he's reminding us that if the world that you want is love, you've gotta get there with love. You can't get there um, by making deals with the devil for the wrong kind of power. So, um, so this week, I want to encourage you, friends, maybe make an inventory of the power you have, uh, whether it's in the workplace or the home or with the bank account or the vote that you're about to cast. Maybe make an inventory of the power that you do have. And then um, because we want to be vigilant, because we want to be aware that power can corrupt us and that we can lose the way of love. And because we are hearing clearly today, right, that if, if we want a world of love, then love is how we get there, then maybe you look at the power that you do have and you ask, how can all of this power, whatever it is, whatever influence I have, whatever power I have, how can all of this become a servant to the way of love rather than love being submitted to the power, right? Uh, I think if we do this, what's gonna happen is we're actually gonna grow a little bit more hopeful. I know that when I sit with Robbie Damlin in Israel and hear her story, um, my heart breaks, and there's usually a lot of tears at the table as she speaks. But on the other side of that heartbreaking, as she begins to talk about the friendships that she has forged with Palestinian parents who have lost their children to violence and the conflict too, and this circle of bereaved parents who have forged a strange but beautiful fellowship uh, across the lines of Israel and Palestine to love one another, and uh, to try to build something better and to call all of us to something better. You hear that story and your heart goes from grief to hope 
Because you hear the story and you realize we can have a world of love and we can get there with love. I remember sitting there in Kenya last year and hearing Dr. Chenoweth deliver her lecture and presenting the data. And I was overcome with hope. I'm not saying this is easy. Resistance is hard. And it doesn't always go like as quickly as we want and we don't get the change that we want right away. And yet I sat there feeling overwhelmingly hopeful because I don't want to make deals with the devil and I don't think you do either. But cynicism creeps in and we face the circumstances around us and we begin to believe that we have to make those deals to build the world that we want. And then you get a little bit of truth breaking back in. You see the truth in action and, and you believe again just a little bit that we can have a world of love and we can get there with love. And once you begin to taste this in your own life, once you look at your power and you give it over to love, once you look at your power and you surrender it to love, and um, and you walk like one step at a time in the way of love, I think you will discover that we actually can have a world of love, um, that the system can bend itself toward love if we remember what love looks like. So friends, um, may you keep your eyes fixed on the world of love that we want and long for. Uh, may you not lose hope that we can build it with God and with one another. Uh, along the way, may we be vigilant about the temptations towards certain visions of power that might claim to make us safe or to give us the means to build the world that we want. But may we be savvy enough to realize that the way that we build a world of love is with the way of love. Uh, may we perhaps hear the gentle rebuke of Jesus who reminds us that there are always days that we are tempted to gain the world and forfeit our souls. But in the effort to change the system, may we never do that. Uh, may we follow Jesus in the way of love and in the hope of love uh, to build a world of love together. And may grace and peace be with you.